Well, if you have your Bibles, turn to Exodus chapter 30. Exodus chapter 30. Israel has been delivered from Egypt. God uh, sent the ten plagues and through Moses' leadership brought them out of bondage. They had come to the foot of Mount Sinai where they entered into a covenant with God. There's a pattern in that in Exodus 19 through 24 on which marriages today have been settled. Maybe one day we can look at that. But they actually have a time of vows where God says, will you take this covenant and will you take me as your God? And they say, yes, we will do that. So they kind of enter into this covenant, a paradigm of marriage covenant. And then starting in chapter 25 and going to the end of the book is chapter 40. Uh, what do you do after you get married? What, what, what do you need then? Well, you need a house. And uh, what, do you, what do you do after you have a house? Well, then you need furniture. And Exodus 25 to 40 is God said, all right, now we're going to live together. That's in Exodus 25 to 40. Here's the house, tabernacle. By the way, they didn't live together until they got married. Amen? God didn't move in until you have the covenant in 19, chapter 19 to chapter 24, then you have the house in which he said, I will come and dwell in your midst in chapter 25 to 40. And it also describes the furniture. And these are symbols. These pieces of furniture are symbols. And, um, uh, and I, I just wanted to give you uh, one of those today, the... Uh, called the incense altar or the golden altar and to show you how the details of the, these old covenant passages are rich in spiritual truth. Sometimes we get bogged down in these descriptions of the furniture, the genealogies and, and all that in the Old Testament. I, I just want to give you an example of the rich theology and spiritual growth that can come about through meditating on one of these items of furniture. So we start with the tabernacle. The tabernacle as a whole looked like a big tent, probably not quite as big as the, the gym we're in. And it had, as you go in, it would have a large brass altar on which you would sacrifice a lamb which would die in your place instead of you for your sins. Of course, that pictured Christ dying for us. And they did that every day. And that was in what we call the outer court. We might refer to it as the parking lot. Then as you walked further in, you would come to the holy place. 
looking straight ahead, you'd see a large curtain and right in the front of it would be the golden altar. And if you divided that curtain, behind that was the presence of God seated. Of course, it would be invisible, but there was the throne of grace or the mercy seat. And that represented the place where God dwelt among his people. And it says, when he designed this whole thing, that he said there, Exodus 25, 22, I will meet with you from above the mercy seat between the cherubim and I will speak with you. I will meet with you. I will speak with you. So let's read in Exodus 30 beginning in verse 1. Here's the item that is directly in front of that curtain. As you make your beeline into the, uh, to the, through the tabernacle, past the brass altar on which you sacrifice your lamb, then into the holy place. On the left hand is a lamp and on the right hand is a table with bread on it indicating fellowship. And right in front of you is this golden altar. Let's, let's read this. Exodus 30 verse 1. You shall make an altar on which you burn incense. It's to be made of acacia wood. A cubit shall be the length and a cubit the breadth. Square two cubits the height its horns shall all be of one piece with it verse 3 you shall overlay it with pure gold the top and sides and horns with a molding of gold around it and two gold rings to carry it drop down to verse 6 and you shall put it in front of the veil above the ark of the testimony, just right in front of the veil, curtain, in front of the mercy seat above the testimony where I will meet with you. In verse 7, Aaron shall burn fragrant incense on it every morning when he dresses the lamps. He will burn it. And when he sets up the lamps in the evening, he will burn regular incense offering. In verse 9 and 10, You're not to offer unauthorized incense. He even gave them the ingredients for it. And then verse 10, and Aaron shall make atonement on its horns once a year. With the blood of the offering of atonement, he will make atonement for it once a year throughout your generations. Remember, I am the Lord. So the altar represents to us coming to God. God is the direction of the goal in which we are moving. And prayer seems to be the place you stop in front of the curtains, which is directly in front of the mercy seat. That's the point of the altar. Remember, there's an altar of sacrifice The altar, the golden altar, right in front of the curtain that we're looking at this morning was not for sacrifice. This was for incense, which rose. Now, what was the incense? In this figurative furniture, verse 1 says, you shall make an altar on which to burn incense. So the priest would go in and burn incense each morning and evening. 
What did that symbolize? It symbolized that as you are praying, it is like incense rising upward. In fact, David uh, spoke of this, Psalm 141, verse 2. Let my prayer be counted as incense before you and the lifting up of my hands as sacrifice. So David said, Lord, as I pray, let it be like the sacrifice or let it be like the incense that goes upward. It's a sweet aroma and it's going toward you. That's the way prayer is. Pleases God and goes into his presence. Now, while this was going on, people, the congregation was to gather outside in the outer court and they would pray and the priest would go in and burn the incense an example of this in the New Testament is Zacharias the father of John the Baptist in Luke 1 9 it says according to the custom of the priest his lot was to burn incense when he went into the temple And the whole multitude of people were praying without at the time of incense. They were outside at the time of incense. But Zacharias was a priest. He was inside burning incense. And here's what it says. And suddenly there appeared to him an angel of the Lord standing at the right hand of the altar of incense. This angel just shows up. And guess what he tells him? He says, your prayer is answered. You and your wife, Elizabeth, will have a son. Now, they're old people at this point. And he can't hardly believe it. But it's interesting. The angel came and announced the arrival and the birth of John the Baptist at the time of the burning of incense. Because it's symbolic of prayer. So... If the altar is the place of prayer, incense is the request, the petition you make to God. Why is it covered in gold? What's the significance of that? Verse 3 says, you shall overlay it with pure gold, the top and the sides and the horns. Gold teaches us that prayer is valuable. Even the the altar uh, where you shed the blood of the sacrifice, that was brass. Interestingly, this is pure, it's not pure gold, but it's totally covered in pure gold. This indicates God is communicating that when you pray, you don't realize what a valuable thing you are doing. And he's wanting to make this visible to you. He's wanting to make this in symbol uh, a figure of, that has been uh, created and put together so it conveys a truth, the value of prayer. In the Old Testament, there's a king named Hezekiah and he's under siege from the Assyrians. And the Assyrians were like Old Testament terrorists. It's like ISIS has you surrounded. Then 
at the same time, it says he gets sick. This is in Isaiah 38. And he's so sick that Isaiah, the prophet, says, I think you're going to die. You need to get your house in order. Uh, folks, that's a bad year. <laughs> when, when the enemy surrounds your house and they're not yet broken in, but it's going to happen, and you're so sick you can't get out of bed, that's what I call a bad year. And it says, Hezekiah, Isaiah 38, 2, turned his face to the wall and prayed to the Lord. God said, Isaiah 38, 5, I have heard your prayer. I have seen your tears. I will add 15 years to your life. All right. And... I'll deliver the, you and this city from the hand of the king of Assyria and I'll defend all of you. Prayer. Here's a 50 or 60 year old man that was about to die and even if he didn't die, he was going to be killed by the Assyrians and God not only delivered him personally, but he delivered them corporately through answered prayer. He, because he says... I have heard your prayer, Isaiah 38, verse 5. The value of prayer. If you have something that will add 15 years to your life and keep you from the evil that's about to attack, I think I'd get it. I believe I'd go for that. That's gold. There's the value. But then the horns. This is something I thought was interesting. In verse 3, you overlay it with gold, its top and its sides, and its horns. And the, the golden altar had, uh, <laughs> it's kind of weird looking, but it had horns that were uh, fashioned into it. It came out each corner. Of the, of the table. At all four corners, stretching in all four directions. Now, horns in the Old Testament, being an agricultural society, uh, pointed to the fact, a symbol of power. Because where is an oxen's or a a, even a goat or ram, where is their power centered? In the horns. I was watching this nature program one time and it had this, this water buffalo had been surrounded by lions. And all of a sudden the, the, the buffalo it had these big horns and it just attacked a lion and was able to snag it with a horn and it threw that thing 10 or 12 feet up in the air. A great big lion. You don't want to get caught on the end of a horn. I was raised on a farm, and we, sometimes we would take on aggressive cattle, we would take a, a saw and saw the ends of those horns off. But horns symbolize power. And the prophet Zechariah had a vision in Zechariah 1, 18, and he said, I lifted up my eyes, and behold, there were four horns. 
And this angel was interpreting the vision and he said, I said to the angel who talked with me, what are these? And he said, these are the horns that scattered Judah and Israel. These were the powers, the governments, the armies that came in. And if you want to symbolize an army, you just say, that's its horn. So the horn of the United States government would be the Marines or or the Air Force. So here, what is this saying when it says the golden altar has horns? I'll tell you exactly what it's telling us. When the incense or prayer goes up, power goes out. In other words, God sends his power outward. He can send it in any direction in answer to prayer and does. The moment of prayer is the moment of power. You know, you, you, we pray for our children, we pray for our family members, we pray for neighbors or friends, and they don't have to come to church. They can stay away. Uh, they, you, can all, you can say, here, I bought you this book. Would you read this? And they say, oh, sure, yeah. And then they go home and never read it. Uh, they can turn down a track. They can tune you out, turn you off. But you know what they cannot do? Where they cannot escape from is the power of prayer because the power of prayer is in the power and presence of God who is everywhere. They can't get away from God. So they can't get away from the power of prayer. And these go up. It's interesting. He says, you make this in verse 3. You, you make this uh, in, or in verse 2. The horns are of one piece with the table. In other words, the moment you begin to pray, it's, it's of one piece. When this happens, this happens. This is all one thing. Prayer and power. They, they happen at the same time. Um, you see an example of this in Acts 12 where Peter was arrested for preaching the gospel and put in prison. And here's what the text is, Acts 12, 5. Peter was kept in prison, but earnest prayer was made for him to God by the church. And while they were praying, it says that an angel came, woke Peter up, and walked him out of the prison. The angel was just opening the doors for him as he, as he walked Peter out of the prison. And Peter goes to the house where they were praying. <laughs> you remember this story? And Peter knocks on the door, the house of, says, house of Mary. And he knocks on the door and they were in there praying that he would be released. And a, a little lady comes to the door and peeks out and, and it's Peter. And, and he says, I'm Peter. And she said, no, you're not. He's in prison. <laughs> he 
And, and she doesn't believe it's Peter and runs back in there to those who were praying. God released Peter and, and, and says, there's a ghost at the door. <laughs> While they were praying, Peter is on his way home. That's the thing. Last Sunday night, uh, no, two weeks, two weeks ago, y'all remember a couple weeks ago we had DeMarcus from Detroit up here. And he, he was a joy to be around. He's a friend of Bud's. And so we, we said, well, let's bring him up because he's a professional uh, drummer. So I said, let's bring him up and his family and, and just bless his life and, and uh, let's, get, let's get him some money for coming. And uh, uh, it was told to me that they were in need, as young families often are. And I said, well, how much, how much can we give him? Um, we operate on a pretty tight budget, so let's just raise some money among ourselves and give it to him. And uh, we, was, we was talking about $500. That's, a pr- that's pretty good for a day's work, playing the drums. He spoke to the young people that night, did a great job. And best attended young youth meeting I think we've had all year. And so... But we were praying for it the night before. And, uh, and I was talking to Bud, and I said, Bud, let's just see if God will open the windows of heaven. Let's give this young man and his family $1,000. And Bud said, okay, here's five. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Bud, for your great faith. And uh, so we were praying, God. In fact, Bud was, the, we were going in a circle and Bud was the one who was praying and he was saying, God, give us, I pray, $1,000 for DeMarcus and his family. And I was just sitting there and all of a sudden, I, the Holy Spirit just seemed to say, okay. And I looked up, I said, it's ours. We got it. Bud was right in the middle of his prayer. He's opening one eye, looking at me like uh, I'm praying here. <laughs> I said, it's, it's done. It's done. Of course, he kept praying on in unbelief. And <laughs> I said, I'm telling you. Now, at that point, we didn't have a dollar. But the next night, when the, after DeMarcus spoke, somebody gave but an envelope with $1,000 in it. Then that's for DeMarcus. We were praising God. And somebody said, well, God spoke to me and said to give him 500. And uh, I said, well, we, we already got 1,000. They said, well, now he's got 1,500. And, I, I, <laughs> and somebody else standing there said, I think we're, I'm supposed to give 150. And then Bud said, well, you know what? I'm, gonna, I'm supposed to give 50. And I said, well, I don't, I'm not giving nothing. <laughs> we, we're done. And we gave this young man and his family $1,700 for in one day, nothing came out of the general fund. We blessed his socks off. 
That's what we prayed, that we would bless his socks off. Whatever that meant, I think God knew what it meant. But uh, this is what the idea is here. The golden oil, when the incense goes up, power goes out. God dispatches his angels to carry out that petition. Daniel experienced this exact same thing in Daniel chapter 10. He's praying for Israel to go home from exile back to the land of Israel and rebuild the city and the temple. And it says in Daniel 10, 12, an angel came to him and said, Fear not, Daniel, from the first day you set your heart to understand and humble yourself before God, your words were heard and I have come because of your words. From the first day. Now, how long? It's three weeks later in Daniel 10. Where's he been for three weeks? Does it take that long for an angel to come from heaven to earth? He said, I know I'm three weeks late, but I had to stop off and wrestle with the, this demon prince of Persia. And it took me three weeks to get rid of him. But now I'm here. But the point is, from the moment you prayed, your words were heard. It just took me a while to get through the obstacles. Now, here's the thing I would say to you. From the moment you pray, you go to, to the altar of prayer. You send that incense up to God. This is a golden altar. This thing is valuable. God does not look upon it as insignificant. If you make the request, you're his child. And that thing is in the will of God. All of a sudden, the angels are dispatched. It may take a day. It may take three weeks. But it's on its way. It's like ordering from Amazon. The next day, it's on its way. Actually, it's on its way the next minute. One more thing. Look at verse 10. In Exodus 30, verse 10. On these horns, verse 10, Aaron shall make atonement on the horns once a year with the blood of the sin offering. He takes some blood from the offering, the sacrifice of the lamb out in the courtyard. And he brings it and he sprinkles it on those horns. What does that symbolize? Well, our prayers are such a mixed bag, aren't they? Faith is mingled with unbelief. Our petitions are hindered by our sin and selfishness. How shall our prayers ever be worthy to be answered? Why should God hear me? Those horns are sprinkled with the blood of the Lamb. The answer is purchased by Christ's merits. You do not come in your own worth. Your behavior is not the basis on which God answers and sends out His power. His power, His horns are sprinkled with the blood of the Lamb. That's why they penetrate and get to the point and bring the petition home. Hebrews 10, 19 puts it like this. Brothers, 
we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus. So pray, pray for the power, but plead the blood. Amen? Whatever you pray for, the blood is the merit which purchased it. The prayer is the means which obtains it. You pray and plead the blood at the same time. So the summary is we are taught by this golden altar, this table of incense, that we should come to God, we should come in prayer like the incense rising, we should come in faith and confidence because this is a golden altar where power goes out. And we should come by the blood of the Lamb that is through the merits of Christ's sacrifice. So this is prayer as God sees it, as the angels know it, and as the devils fear it. This is, what, this is prayer brought into the visible realm in the form of a piece of furniture to convey these wonderful truths. Figurative furniture, the spiritual realm made visible. Someone wrote, large petitions with thee bring, for you are coming to a king. And his grace and power are such that you could never ask too much. There's horns on this altar, my friend. Let's pray for the power and plead the blood. Bow with me.